As we celebrate Jesus as our king on this last day of the Christian year, we go to an unlikely place in scripture, the crucifixion. I will be reading from Luke 23 in just a moment, and it is in your bulletin. A friend sent me an email this week asking if I had seen a brand new video game coming out soon. It's called I Am Jesus Christ. This fun-filled, true-to-scripture experience allows gamers to play as if they are the Lord. So listen to this advertisement. Walk in the footsteps of Jesus in this incredible first-person retelling of the story of Christ from birth to resurrection. Perform amazing miracles. Interact with a cast of biblical characters and travel around the Holy Land from Jerusalem to Galilee. Become the Messiah in I am Jesus Christ. Now, I read a different article from a person who played a demo version of this game who said that actually the game is fairly serious in its depictions of Jesus' life, even including Bible verses to correspond to each incident. Of course, because it's a game... You have to make sure that the Lord eats in order to stay alive. You also have to stop and pray to recharge the Holy Spirit, which gets consumed as Jesus uses power. And those powers are used to perform miracles and to fight Satan in the wilderness. Satan, who, by the way, sorry, places evil crystals in several cities around Palestine as um, you, Jesus, have to go and destroy them. Now, of course, Jesus is depicted and has been depicted throughout history in several art forms, including some actually quite vile and repulsive ones. So it's not surprising that Jesus is being monetized in a video game as one would John Madden or Muhammad Ali or Serena Williams. But there's something about it that seems on one hand very culturally hip, but on the other hand, not fitting for the king of glory. Even if it's not the intention There is something mocking about reducing the risen Savior to pure entertainment where every player gets to pretend they are the Messiah, as if Jesus' life were sport and not to be taken seriously, as if his greatness is something we could compete to be and not follow. Now, I don't want to be a downer here or vilify anyone or be without humor, I'm just trying to pastorally think through what it means for humanity to uphold the holiness and regal nature of God. See, our scripture today speaks of Jesus as king. But the people who are saying it are cruelly mocking his death. They are making it a game where they have won and he has lost which completely misses the eternal reality God is in the midst of accomplishing. So I'm going to read the passage, 
And then we're going to see how, although this, peop- this story shows people misunderstanding Jesus as a martyr, they think he's a martyr whose cause is soon going to end. Jesus, indeed, is the only true sovereign we have ever known. Luke 23, 33 through 43. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do not fear God since we, under the, we are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Jesus, show us Show us now in a new way, in a fresh way, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you are our true king forever. Amen. Jesus is repeatedly taunted while on the cross for being king. But in order for us to understand this more fully, let's remember the story up until this point of where we are studying The people brought the Lord to Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Judea, because he is the only one who can sign off on an execution. They complained how Jesus was stirring things up and forbidding the people to pay taxes to Caesar and how he was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you king of the Jews? Jesus, whose fate is already a foregone conclusion, is not going to make it easy for the Roman governor, so he gives a non-answer. You say so. Pilate's not going to put a person to death for that, but the people are insistent. And upon learning that Jesus is a Galilean, which means that he's actually under Jewish jurisdiction of Herod Antipas, Pilate sends him there. And Herod is thrilled because he has wanted to meet Jesus for a long time, and he questions the Lord at length. And while Herod is doing that, in the background, the chief priests and the scribes are stand by and they're vehemently accusing the Lord. And Jesus refuses to answer. So Herod joins in the mockery and uh, drapes Jesus with an elegant robe, fit for a king, and sends him back to Pilate. The Roman governor tries to reason with the Jewish leaders, saying he can't find any evidence to charge Jesus, much less put him to death. And it's at this point that the crowd negotiates with Pilate and screams for a murderer to be released and for Jesus to be crucified. Pilate wants to release Jesus but relents, 
because the crowd is urgently demanding for blood. So Jesus gets handed over. But John records that Pilate has his last say and puts a sign written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek over Jesus' cross, which says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the crowd says, no, 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 don't say that. Say, this was a guy who claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, I've, what I've written, I've written. Finally finding a backbone, I guess. This is always a sad part of the story to me. It just makes me weep. That no one, no one will stand up for Jesus. He is volleyed between two weak leaders. But the real power, the real power lies in the angry, spiteful crowd who have whipped themselves up into a frenzy. They are the ones being catered to. And giving them what they want is more important than someone's life. And then I think we always have to remember that. We always have to remember that we should never make our demands or our beliefs, or our opinions, or our judgments based on fear and disillusionment more important than someone else, ever. Now, there were followers of the Lord who did walk with him and walked behind him as he carried the cross, and some of the women were wailing in grief. And Jesus turns to them and says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children for the days are coming when people are going to be weary of living and wish for relief from the ugliness of the world. Imagine, imagine Jesus carrying his cross, going to Golgotha. Jesus, the king of all of creation, the sovereign of everything that we can see, the architect of the pulsing universe that exudes an astoundingly complex design and beauty and far more intelligence than we can even fathom. Jesus continues to teach and to encourage even as he is led away to death. But when we read it earlier in Luke, we see that's actually a command more than anything. Don't weep for me, he says. Do not weep for me. Weep for those who are lost. Weep for those who are angry. Jesus is the king here, even as he goes through this path that has been laid out for him. So that's the simple idea I want to carry through these verses. How do we see Jesus acting like a true sovereign in this passage? Because this is when we see the kingdom of God begin to take shape in real time, in new ways, as Jesus rules from the cross. So, the first thing we see is that Luke tells us that Jesus is crucified between two criminals, the optics of which would have been purposefully done to bring about the most shame to the king of the Jews. Crucifixion was not the most intensely painful death that there was, but it was often the most drawn out as it could take up to four days for someone to pass. In antiquity, thousands upon thousands were killed this way. Crucifixion was started by the Assyrians or the Babylonians, but it was the Romans who perfected it. The Romans created the cross. 
And it stayed until effect until the 4th century when Emperor Constantine, who had become a follower of Jesus, said, enough, no more. But the first thing that Luke says Jesus does when on the cross, when his body becomes vertical and the weight of his body is trying to strain against itself, the first thing Jesus does is to pray. But not for himself. And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. What an amazing thing to do. To pray for one's enemies in real time. Jesus here is doing two important things. He's praying for those who are harming him, which is what he taught his followers to do. So now he's doing it and modeling for us something so important and beautiful. How do you talk about your enemies? What do you do with those who are trying to harm you? Jesus says, pray for them. Pray for them. Wish good things for them. Hope for them. It doesn't matter what they're doing to you. You pray. The other thing that Jesus is doing here is he is declaring the authority to forgive. One of the reasons why he's there. Only God can absolve humans of our sins. There's only one who has ultimate jurisdiction who can claim that divine right. Jesus is the king who prays. The second way we see Jesus as king here is when he is being reviled for being the Messiah. There's such hubris on the part of the soldiers and the Jewish leaders. One writer I read this week said, it's as if they finally got some courage, isn't it? With Jesus on the cross, they can say whatever they want now. They're not stuck trying to figure out an answer to one of his unanswerable questions. They don't have to decipher what it is that he is saying. They feel confident. They feel confident in being right and the resentment that has been building up, which comes out in contemptuous, ugly ways. Jesus holds his dignity. Jesus holds the dignity of the crowd until the very end. Because we know that he is God. He could have silenced them with one word, showing them who was in charge. But meanwhile, the crowd has lost all sense of decorum. Gambling for his clothes while he writhes in agony? Offering him sour wine to increase his thirst? Hurling insults and being callous in the face of a truly suffering person? The one they celebrated as king just the week before? Again, Jesus is facing true evil, true darkness. And that, that temptation is there for him to save himself. But Jesus knows his identity. He knows his purpose, and he will not, he will not be baited. Jesus is the king who is above our human drama, who models goodness and grace. Third, a similar but different idea is how a true monarch is supposed to do what is best for their people, not for themselves. We can argue the reality of how that is mostly not true on earth, but Jesus is the true king. He understands what his subjects need, which is love and not retaliation. 
There is grace here from the mighty one. He restrains himself as he has restrained himself his whole earthly life. He restrains himself on what he could actually do to these people. He could unleash all of the forces of nature upon them, obliterating the landscape until everything was a smoldering mess. Isn't that what war is? But that's not the way that Jesus rules. This royal one is compelled by love, and as people are screaming at him to save himself and them, they don't understand that by his death he is in the process of saving them. He is in the process of doing what it is that they are yelling at him to do. Yesterday, a quote landed in my inbox from the Society of St. John the Evangelist. I've quoted from them before. It's a monastic community in the Anglican tradition. This uh, quote is from Brother James Coaster. The world has never seen, except once, the kind of king we mean when we speak of Christ the king. Instead of a throne, our king reigns from a cross and rules on his knees. His crown is thorns. His orb and scepter are a basin and towel. His law is love. We are here to tell the tale of lives transformed by loving service. For this king has set an example for us all. The one who taught us to do good to those who hurt us has changed the very center of our existence and for the world. Jesus is the wise and giving king. Lastly, Jesus is the king who is recognized. One of the thieves on the cross sees what is happening. We don't know how much he grasps, but when the other criminal starts hurling insults at Jesus and picking up on the sentiment of the group think of the angry crowd, the other challenges him. Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, we are getting what we deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. What a beautiful moment here. Facing his own shame and impending death, this criminal meets God. This is a part of the story that touches us in the depth of our souls. And we think, blessed, blessed is the one who has eyes to see. Eyes to see the Holy One right in front of them. This person recognizes the goodness and the greatness of Jesus, the innocent hanging between them. What strength and courage it must have taken to rebuke the one and worship the other. Basically, he's saying to the other guy, what gives you the right? What gives you the right to talk that way when you're under judgment for committing a crime? And then he goes a step further and says, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. A whole cast of characters. And there's one one who sees and turns, gets turned around. Remember me when you come into my kingdom, he asks. Here's someone who saw through the fear and the hate being happening and, and gleaned the truth. He discerns through the harsh words of what is being said by those who doubt Jesus. He sees God. He sees through the people who wanted a rescue 
See, the people are mad because Jesus didn't rescue them from their ills in society. Jesus didn't rescue every problem that they had or healed everybody they wanted. They saw so much was wrong with the world that he's supposed to be the king. But this person on the cross understands that's not the kind of savior Jesus is. Jesus is the king who dies to offer us a new way of life so that we can bring hope to what ails our world through his love because we trust the one who came to die. And Jesus' response is exactly what we would expect from our relational loving God. Truly, I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. Basically offering Offering life, eternal life. Now, paradise here means a walled garden in Persian. In that ancient culture, when a Persian king wished to bestow an honor upon someone, they were given the opportunity, the subject was given the opportunity to walk in the garden with him. A walk in the garden with a king. And so Jesus here is not just offering heaven as a prize. He is promising that they will be together. The one who recognizes the Savior will have the honor of walking alongside of him forever and the new kingdom being unveiled in real time here. If we are teachable, there's always time for us to know God, even at the last minute. That is grace. So the person who wrote about the Messiah video said this, even though I'm no theologian, I know that Jesus tells us that whoever has the lowest score in life, those who languish at the bottom of a ranking, or those who have failed their mission in some way, will be the first to receive a reward in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wouldn't want us to amass resources, kill our enemies, or collect money to get better weapons. Perhaps there's not a better way to end the Christian year than with a beautiful reminder of who Jesus really is and how he is the king who rules our world with painful and loving sacrifice. What does Christ's reign look like? It looks like mercy and hopeful prayer for others in the face of unjust treatment. It looks like humility and saving others at the cost of saving himself and trusting God in the middle of lies and taunts and untrue accusations. In the book of John, Jesus says this, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over. But my kingdom is not of this world. This Sunday calls us to pay attention to how it is that we recognize Jesus as our only true king. And so may we worship him today, the one who rules justly and with great love. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.